Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. That's right, listeners. Just when you thought you would see the back of us until the Six Nations, we have returned with a special emergency episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Telegraph Rugby Podcast. I'm Ben Coles and I'm joined in the studio by Charles Richardson. Hello, Charles. Hello, hello, what a day. And we're joined virtually from his stakeout tent in Twickenham's West Car Park <laughs> by Charlie Morgan. Hiya, Charlie. Hi, mate. Actually, it looks like you've, you've made it home, which is... Uh, I'm nice and warm. I'm re- fine. <laughs> that's a relief after your, uh, your hard work over the last few days. Listen, it's an emergency podcast because we've had two seismic rugby stories within a couple of days. And we'll kick off by diving into why England have sacked Eddie Jones just 10 months out from the Rugby World Cup. It's been lively. As Morgs tweeted this morning, I can't believe it's only Wednesday. So we'll unpack Eddie's departure, why the RFU made the call now, and who Eddie's replacement will be. Hint, hint, his name is Steve. And as if the Eddie Jones news wasn't big enough, we'll also be talking about Warren Gatlin's shock return to Wales, replacing Wayne Pivak. The former Lions coach is back to lead Wales into the World Cup after Pivot was relieved of his duties earlier this week and we'll get into whether he can bring back the glory days to Wales. So, what a crazy couple of days already. Let's try and make sense of it. Charlie, Charles, it's been an insane couple of hours. What did you make of the decision to get rid of Eddie Jones? What's, your, what's sort of your gut reaction? Charlie, start with you. Um, surprise. I think we, listening back to the last podcast, we, we were fairly confident that he'd stay, wouldn't we? I think it's just a kind of indictment of how clunky and how disjointed they've looked because we can only imagine that if we take the rugby, the on-field stuff, we can only imagine that the confidence in England's World Cup campaign has just evaporated from um, Conor O'Shea and, and Bill Sweeney. And you know what? I know that there's this argument that Eddie Jones is fantastic at World Cups, which he is. I know there's this argument argument that he has a dip into these tournaments, which he has tended to do. And I know that there's an argument that it's the right decision at the wrong time. But also, it does give a little bit of a run-up to the next World Cup for a little bit of bounce. Although that's going to be messy to sort out, as I'm sure we will touch on later. We certainly will. That, that's just one element of a very interesting story, isn't it? Charles, what was your reaction? Was he right to go? I mean, Charlie's already said it. Um, right, right, call, wrong time. I think. I mean, I, I don't quite know. 
how anyone can come in now, be parachuted in now, and 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 do a better job than what Eddie was going to do. He'd presented his plan. Um, it wasn't the time for him to go. The time was after the Six Nations or or a couple of years ago to give a, a replacement a good enough run into 2023. Now it just makes the RFU look inept and disorganised. And I, I don't think you can overestimate that there's a there's a real sense of people-pleasing and mood music about this. Bill Sweeney would have would have read the room. He would have read the, the negativity towards... Uh, the RFU towards uh, the the Premiership with two clubs going bust and how it's not a, a particularly positive time for English rugby, and he would have heard the boos at Twickenham, and he would definitely have moved to not necessarily cover his own back, but to improve the mood music around the England team and around the RFU by basically giving the people what they want, and a lot of people wanted Eddie's head. I think that's a great point. I'd like to make two off the back of it. The first one is that it's an indictment of how much England were treading water between probably probably on the off the back of 2020. We haven't really found out anything about them on the back of 2020. All we've had is words. Is that we're trying to we're trying to refresh a squad. We're trying to play a new way. And all the time, I mean, we spoke about it on the very first podcast that we did. It was what do we what have we learned more about England? apart from that Ellis Genge is a great leader and has probably graduated to becoming a test-class loosehead and the fact that Freddie Stewart is one of the most assured guys coming through. Apart from that, don't think we've learned much. And the, the other thing, Charles makes a great point there about the mood music and how that had changed since we heard the booze. Then I think, and I just wanted to bring in, if we could, Ted Simpson's question from Twitter. Slight, slightly spicy, he tweets, but how much do you think the rugby media played a role in, in Eddie Jones' downfall? I think it was as much. The mood music was coming from the fans as well. It wasn't just those boos. It was, I mean, how many, how many articles did you guys write where you were accused of being soft on Jones? I certainly know I wrote a few. When you're, mm. when you're just trying to even rationalise selection and things like that, you're getting, nah, not having it, not having it. Fed up of, fed up of the... Fed up of not seeing progress and fed up of um, selections that are at odds with domestic form, and however much however much truth there is in that, and Eddie Jones is has been closer to it all. Um, it's frustrating and it's alienating for supporters, and that is significant. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the boos are are significant because if you're there and and you're Bill Sweeney, you're there at Twickenham, and you hear those boos ring out. You know, you've you've got boxes there at Twickenham filled with sponsors. You've got You've you've got people there on corporate gigs who are all ploughing this money into the RFU. You've, um, you've also not had a great week if you're Bill Sweeney, because don't forget, two days before that he'd been in front of the DCMS hearing and he wasn't having the best time. And the RFU were already under the pump, and then you had well, your thousands of punters who weren't very happy with the outcome on the field either. Quite. And if you look at the, the I'm guessing there would have been chief execs, chairman of RFU sponsors in corporate boxes around Twickenham. And they're going right. What's next? We want to be sponsoring a winning team. That's what. That's a key formula for, for for business sponsoring. They want to sponsor winning teams. And as soon as that happens, as soon as a, a real cloud of negativity comes over a team, pressure builds. Pressure would have built on Sweeney from from money. Just want to reference two things off that. We had a poll on the website sort of yesterday about whether Eddie should have been sacked, and the result was actually far closer than I sort of thought because it was fifty two percent yes and forty eight percent no. Those are. Uh, those percentages sound familiar when it comes to a popular vote. But the point, uh, I guess, I find quite interesting there is that it's almost as if, yeah, people booed at the result because they were out of the game and they weren't very happy. And it's almost as if people took a couple of days and sort of sat down and thought about it and were like, 
yeah, but really, it's madness to sack him now, isn't it? Because the World Cup's so soon. I almost wonder if, as the as the prospect of him getting sacked sort of edged closer and closer, people were suddenly thinking, hang on, is this a bit rash? Which is a very logical thing to do, because I think most of us were thinking along similar lines. And the, the, the reason I'm bringing that up is because there's this whole idea that if you sack Eddie Jones now, you can uh, do a Razzie Erasmus, for want of a better term, not in terms of referee abuse but in terms of turning a team around yeah. and getting a team ready for the Rugby World Cup. But they're not not—they're comparable to an extent, but not really, because South Africa had two years. Mm. Like Razzie came in at the start of 2018 and they were terrible and they managed to work out all of the errors and sort of the flaws in the game and to bed in this defensive system. Andre Pollard talked about this the other week, didn't he, the European Cup launch. I think he said that Razzie said it'll take 18 games for us to get this defensive system sort mm. of perfect. And Pollard said it wasn't quite 18 games but it probably took us a year. England don't really have a year. Well, Razzie Rasmus brought Jack Ninaba and he brought Alad Waters topically over from Munster, mm. didn't he? So that is that. Where What you have, what Jones is leaving behind, which is what the RFU had to have um, factored in, is a, a coaching team that doesn't look very cohesive. Um, and that is a re- as a result of seven years of Eddie Jones being in charge, which has which has which had potentially had some advantages as far as kind of cycling through selection and going back to players and everything. Um, but its disadvantages is that it's left with a coaching team that isn't co- isn't doesn't look particularly cohesive. Guys that have been a huge turnover within that. Um, so if they were going to make the big call to get rid of Jones, then they had to know that whoever was coming in was unlikely to work with what looks like a pretty unstable base. Um, so that was a secondary kind of, that was collateral that they were going to have to deal with too. So they're going to have to have had left a bit of scope for that. Um, just how much scope, just how messy it's going to be, we'll find out. I mean, Ben, you've touched on this. You touched on it just then. It does look rash and it does look irrational because when Martin Johnson went, when Stuart Lancaster went, when Andy Robinson went, it felt as if the writing was on the wall there. They they had airs of resignation when they went. It felt like their time was up. All as three were in that press conference with Eddie after the South Africa game. And yes, okay, the mood, it wasn't the most positive one, but it, it didn't have the air of a man whose time was up, did it? No, no, not at all. There was, one, it was maybe one bit, um, and I think, Charles, you were upstairs. You remember the, the huddle with Eddie, Ben? Yes. Where where yeah. He mentioned Bill Sweeney and he said, I hope, I hope something, uh, either he said, I hope he doesn't listen to those boos. I don't think he said that. I think he said, I think he said, I, I hope, hope he doesn't listen, he'll listen to you read guys. What <laughs> yeah. So it was a kind of case there of, that was a little, looked like a little kind of public crack in that relationship. And then obviously we've had the kind of comments below um, articles and things like that, which kind of added more friction and um, hinted at, additional friction on top of that so yeah we've mentioned some on-field on-field stuff so i mean i imagine some off-field stuff maybe came into it too who knows let's look into how we we've got to this point so we we had a sto- we had the story last friday i think it was that steve wolf was going to be considered and that eddie jones might be on his way out by the time we got to monday and by the time eddie was going to this meeting it took him to sort of present his case essentially for where England had gone wrong in the autumn and where they were going to improve and, and, and sort of what was next. And essentially the meeting that he gives after every every tournament and every serve test, it sounds as though, well, sources were telling us that basically by the time that he went into that meeting on the Monday, the game was already up. 
and there he was he was a goner and so which almost creates this very weird element doesn't it of him sort of going through the motions of presenting this presentation when in the back of his mind he knows that his jobs are really out i mean i mean charlie you've written a, a piece up on the website today about the last 48 hours and sort of how that's gone down and you were there yesterday when eddie sort of waved goodbye to twickenham for the last time as as england head coach We're, let's sort of dive into that and what that's been like well i think as you mentioned there ben there's no smoke without fire so i think he was fairly sure. And just to go back to Ted's question, actually, the, the, the vacuum after the last game had to, had to have been filled by something. So there was two weeks of articles about where England were going and for it to have, for the, get, for the autumn campaign to have finished on such a sour note meant that that noise was only going to go one way. And um, so that was, there was two weeks of that that felt, felt heavier and heavier. It did. There's no, no denying that in the, in the way that the media coverage was going. Um, however, I think they're crazy if they didn't give Jones a good, good chance to present. What we understand is that the set-piece frailties came under a lot of scrutiny in that, um, in that uh, review, um, understandably, because there were scrum penalties in the last few minutes against Argentina that ended up crippling them. Um, and, you know, in, in sliding doors, do they, if they nick that game against Argentina, is it, are we, are we doing this podcast? Hopefully, anyway. Um, and then the, <laughs> I don't, and I don't then think set, so, though. No, I don't. I don't. But the, what, um, the whole thing? Whole things. Just, well, yeah, yeah the bit of the entire concept of a podcast. No, I think if they if they'd have if they'd have beat Argentina, I think I don't think we'd be sitting here today. I think he'd neither be safe. I. Yeah, neither do I. But the, the set piece then came under pressure, didn't it, against New Zealand, and then obviously totally decimated against South Africa. Um, so yeah, I mean that that was the that was what he was going into this review. He was going into this review thinking that the time was up, and from what we gather and from what we have come to know about Eddie Jones I'm sure he gave it a good crack and I'm sure and there were I would say in flashes particularly against New Zealand there were um, glimpses of what the, the, the potential of what he's trying to figure out I hope well I would hope if that he would have pointed out the players that have got to come back in um, the the guys that were both injured and, and overlooked to kind of give younger guys a go England are going to go to that world. And, he, and there's his World Cup pedigree as well. Um, but I think it would have been, and we did make this point again on the last pod, it would have been really ironic had he gone into that meeting and, and gone, what I need is a change of backroom staff. Because Conor O'Shea and, and Bill Sweeney have appeased him in, in that churn, haven't they? The really? Ferris wheel of backroom staff that we've had with Eddie Jones, um, where just, yeah. people just keep um, getting on and off. He's had that mandate. He's had that mandate to change the coaching team. He's had the mandate to work towards the World Cup. And that is where England are. And it is still unconvincing. And I thought that was, you know, he was going into the review in a pretty um, pretty rocky state. Just something in your in your piece, Charlie, you talk about how we, we sort of heard from a source that there was a bit of a bit of work had to be done to the official exit statement with the wording of his departure. Do you just want yeah. to explain that? The initial wording was that they were going to part ways... And Jones kind of wanted the, wanted it to mention that his contract was terminated. I think I think, as you might expect from him, he didn't want it to be known that he'd given up on this project because he's invested a lot of time and a lot of emotion, a lot of um, a lot into it. Um, and yeah, it ended up with dismissed. Which and then the, the kind of overall tone after that was kind of pretty amicable, wasn't it? It's was quite odd, but um, no, Jones certainly wanted to 
certainly wanted to stay on. And then there, we, we, as we understood, um, there was also a bit of back and forth about who was going to tell the players. And Jones wanted to make it make sure that O'Shea and and or um, Conor O'Shea, no, sorry, O'Shea and or Sweeney did that, um, which is fair enough, I guess. Just a final question on your on your stakeout glory at Twickenham. It, it sounds really obvious, but how did how did Eddie seem when he when he gave you sort of one line and, wound, and wound down the car window? What how was he? Um, I, he came out of the building initially and then went to another little meeting, smiling the first time. And then sort of just demeanor seemed, seemed, seemed fine. I think, I think from what, and again, from what we've gathered, somebody, he, he gave it everything in that review and left kind of under the understanding that having axe players and axe coaches himself, that it's a performance sport and, um, those are the those are the stakes of play, and that's what you kind of got. It certainly got the feeling that he was disappointed because of how much he. I mean, he loves World Cups, doesn't he? And that, and he's not going to get the chance to go to this one. Charles, let's chat about who might be the new England head coach. I mean, this is a terrible secret, isn't it? But but it seems all roads are going towards both coming back and coaching England. Well, let's first of all let's dot the i's and cross the t's. As we speak, Richard Cockrell is currently the interim head coach. Yeah, of, he might be for like England. six days. Yeah, I mean, the England we, rugby team. I feel like we could be doing Cocker's job for six days or running the England rugby team. The irony of Eddie's uh, assistant merry-go-round in that one of his assistants <laughs> has actually now jumped into his grave is, is absolutely phenomenal. Our understanding is that Steve Borthwick is the frontrunner for the England head coach role and... Um, could be in post as soon as the end of the week, or at least could be signed, sealed, delivered by the end of the week. The suggestions at the minute are that he still will be in charge of Leicester on Sunday for their European match away at Ospreys. Knowing him and knowing Leicester from the dealings that we've had with him, and I'm sure Charlie would agree, there is absolutely no way on earth that he would want to leave Leicester in the lurch and and just bail from there and leave them... You know, and light the match and drop it on the drop it on the fuel tank. Not a chance. Not on your Nelly would he want to do that. So there's going to be this is going to be a protracted process before we even get into the assistance. Even just with him, this is going to be a protracted process. Yeah, that seems like the big question, isn't it? It's I mean, Borthwick is going to end up being coach, but it's how much of how much of Leicester does he bring with him, and who the Leicester scrap to hold on to in terms of costs, Charles. I mean, they've already had to pay off Eddie and they're going to have to pay to get rid of Eddie's assistance. How much is it going to then cost to potentially get Borthwick in? And, and, and if he wants all those assistants, Kevin Sinfield, Alad Waters, Richard Wigglesworth, I don't know. How much does that cost as well? Well, it's going to cost a pretty penny. I mean, it's going to cost at least, in terms of the the Eddie dismissal Borthwick hiring, is going to be at least a million pounds, as as myself and, and, and Gavin Mayers wrote, on, wrote in the Telegraph this morning. It's going to cost the RFU at least a million. Um, if... If he does want Kevin Sinfield and Alad Walters and maybe Richard Wigglesworth, his coaching staff at Leicester, then it's going to cost the RFU a, a real pretty penny uh, if Leicester agree to release them. Um, we know that they're not going to stand in Steve's way. Um, we know that for certain. The others, it's a little bit more. It's a bit, little bit more nebulous. I think it's a little bit. There's going to be a bit of a maybe a tug of war might be over overdoing it slightly, but it's certainly not going to be as straightforward as as Steve. Charlie, in terms of Borthwick coming in, is this one of the uh, more obvious 
tactical sort of plans that you can spot in terms of what has driven Leicester to so much success with the way they've sort of managed the kicking game and managed their defence? Is it going to be a, a sort of cut and paste job, or will we get? Will he have to sort of vary it up a bit with England? I guess there are questions about the attack coach, aren't they, and sort of how they do the attack and and. I was I was thinking earlier about your piece which you did with Alad Waters either this year or last year I can't remember when he first arrived at Leicester and the impact he made at Leicester and the impact he had with the Springboks um, so, so maybe just sort of give us an idea of how we're going to play and, and the attack and also what Waters will bring just, I'm not asking much of you you know start, start at the bottom um, Alad Waters you know, I think across working in rugby I can't really remember somebody that universally as popular as him with with players, fellow coaches have as much across a sea of cultures have as much positive th- as many positive things to say about him. Um, and most importantly for Borthwick, his it was Freddie Burns I think said he's the yin to Borthwick's yang as far as personality. And because Steve Borthwick's quite an intense operator. Um, Alad Walters is, he drives high standards as well, but is really kind of jovial guy, um, really good for that, for driving that, driving that side of the the atmosphere, which is just going to be vital. When, and that's why if you look at all the, the best coaching, elite coaching teams around the world, they've, they're full of complementary personalities. The way, um, what was the middle one? The way, way England will play. Attack, what, I think Jack- it was, yeah. Okay, so I don't think, I don't think, Borthwick necessarily has to raid Leicester. I think he, as I say, has to get complementary personalities and, and Simfield and Walters are an example of two charismatic guys who fill out what Steve Borthwick doesn't necessarily immediately offer. Um, but if you... And there are tons of really intriguing um, guys working in the Premiership and beyond that could come into the England setup and work with that. But the most dangerous thing that England could do is to throw in Steve Borthwick at the head of a network of coaches that he isn't comfortable with and then him get burned by a poor Six Nations and then be on a really unstable footing going into the World Cup because that will hang on his reputation. And frankly, that's kind of pre- that's pretty unfair and pretty damaging. And um, English rugby owes him more than that because he's going to be a huge asset to English, English rugby. He'll already be um, popular with the players from having worked with them under Jones. Um, as far as the way they're going to play, I think, yeah, they'll have those foundations of being really industrious and really, really fit, having a really sharp kicking strategy, having a good set piece. Um, but all test teams have that, you know, um, France and South Africa, probably most obviously, but also Ireland, also New Zealand when they're playing well. Um, and actually, if you think about Eng- uh, sorry, Leicester's best performances last season, the Premiership final away in Clermont, when they had to move the ball to score tries, they did, and they did really sharply. Every team's going to... I think maybe he might look um, at a really big hitter or somebody a bit left field to work work the attack. But again, really, there are really kind of interesting people working with Sam Vesti. Um, there's Nick Evans. There's Peter Wilkins at Connacht, who I've uh, name-checked in my piece this morning. Um, he's worked on both sides of the ball for Connacht and he went on the Islands tour of um, New Zealand. So loads of really talented guys. Not important that he gets everybody from Leicester. It's important that he gets a... Kevin Sorrell was another one, sorry. Um, 
bit brand there. Sorry, but um, there's um, no more than normal. But, it's fine. <laughs> but there's there's it's certainly important that he gets complimentary coaching staff that they cover all bases. Um, but it has to be something that he's that Borthwick is really comfortable with. England don't have a tactical identity at the minute. They are falling between two stools, trying to cover all bases. He will give England solidity, and that is what the best teams have, as we have continually said. Yeah, and that's what he did with Leicester. He came back. He, when he was sorry, he came back. He didn't come back when he arrived. He was always one of them. Really, he was always he was always <laughs> one of them. Really, when he first arrived, he stripped it back to basics and went back to the foundations. What made Leicester Leicester? What makes a good rugby team a good rugby team? Start from there. Start the foundations, then build on top of that. But it is worth remembering that the Borthwick Revolution took time. It took time to bed in, even at Leicester. You know. And it might well take time with England. We might need patience, which is why, presumably, he is not interested, or the, the, the word is that he is not interested in a short-term gig to the World Cup um, with England. I feel a bit sorry for him, in a way. This isn't how he wanted to take the job. I'm no. sure that he had visions of you know getting it in December 2023 and mapping out how he's going to attack the Six Nations every couple of months and sort of doing it that way and, and having time to think about it. And now he's sort of dropped in with this very sort of horrible task of trying to mm. fix things. And and, I'm, and actually, I think he'll, he'll probably do really well. And to yeah. be honest, it can't get much worse than it was during November. He's very in tune as well to how things look in the media and he he will be acutely aware that it look it could look like he's leaving Leicester in the lurch. He will he will do his best. I'm convinced to make sure that that's not the case. And it will also look like he will be aware that he could be jumping into Eddie Jones's grave. Somebody who he who he thinks an awful lot of, and someone who who he owes a lot to in terms of his own coaching career. We we should touch on who the other runners and riders have been just to finish off this section because it was Borthwick wasn't always the the front runner because we had. The RFU said they wanted an English coach, and then they, they kind of backtracked on that a little bit, didn't they? Bill Sweeney the other week said, well, let's let's see if we can get the best coach. But Rob Baxter today, perhaps uncoincidentally, has extended his contract along with mm. Ali Heather and Ricky Pello at Exeter. So who knows if we'll ever get Rob Baxter coaching England, but maybe maybe that window is closed slightly. I, I mean, I mean, let's have a chat in 2027 if we're still doing this podcast <laughs> hope but, so uh, that'd be cool wouldn't it yeah. um Renan Agar has re-signed with Lara Shell until 2027 Scott Robinson is just talking about 2027 um the fact that Sean Edwards is already kind of talking oh. about going to Wales in 2027 or wanting to coach Wales again I love that's what while everybody has their eyes on the 2023 merry-go-round he is plotting for 2027 because he's an absolute Friend of the podcast, Sean Edwards. Can we call him a friend of the pod? I saw Paul Tito the other day get a job, and I was I'm, like, "Friend of the pod, Paul Tito." Definitely. Well, like, I think I think we'll, we'd we'd consider him as a friend. I'm not sure it'd be mutual. That's but. fine. I don't I don't need to sort of do that. Um, and it, just to round off this section, both any other thoughts? I mean, best best of luck to him. It's a fairly horrible time to be given this gig with a little run up, but I think they'll be better. I, I think they'll be better too. I think he'll come in. He will he will have a very clear plan and a clear idea of what he wants. I think. We've already chatted about this before off-air, but we think it's very good news for Ellis Genge. There is obviously a chance that he might appoint Ellis Genge as an England captain, like he did at Leicester, and it, we think it's also very good news for George Ford. Uh, I think the way that England played in the autumn with the ball was good news for George Ford anyway, but I think that has been heightened now with Steve Borthwick returning because it, Steve thinks the world of George, and last season would have really loved to have keep, kept him and lent a lot on George Ford's attacking expertise last season with Leicester. Charlie, any more? You excited? No, no, no. I think that's I think that's spot on. I think 
I think people thinking it's an unsexy um, appointment because it's not Scott Robertson will be pleasantly surprised. I, I agree. I mean, you were at Leicester v um, Bristol on Saturday night and there was only one team on that field that played them more attractive rugby and it wasn't the hosts. It wasn't Pat Lamb's team. And, you know, Pat Lamb's famed as a sort of sexy rugby coach who, you know, where his teams like to chuck the ball around. Well, it, it, was, it was Leicester who looked like the more intelligent of the two teams on Saturday night. Guys, Warren Gatland is Wales head coach again. It's two th- it's not two thousand eight. It's twenty twenty two. It's two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. That was a fun time. Um, we're on Gatlin back with Wales. This felt a slightly more obvious coaching change, given that Wales this year had lost to Italy at home, had lost to Georgia at home. Looked as though I think I said I guarantee you Wales will beat Australia because they loved a bounce back and and hey what they, they should have done thirty four thirteen at one point thirty four thirteen on sixty half. minutes oh I felt very very smug when uh, when we were watching that unfold at Twickenham and then it all went wrong and now Wayne Pivak is no longer Wales head coach I've, I've, I've covered Wales covered Wales a bit over the last few years and Pivak's always been really pleasant to work with clearly really enjoyed the job even though there, there were many challenges to it was sort of dealing with I remember from the outset he was always insistent that players had to get fitter that the players just weren't fit enough at test level and, and that was something that he really wanted to work on he clearly had an idea of how he wanted to play but actually we never got this sort of exciting attacking game that he was known for from his time at the Scarlets we never really saw that with Wales the attack always felt very muddled they had issues in terms of their depth being tested, and while there were highlights, I mean that that 2021 Six Nations title, they did win it, the <laughs> but, most undeserved of all time. But as in, as in, I know they won it, and and we spoke to him, and we had that brilliant Zoom press conference because it was in the middle of COVID, where he was sat in a house somewhere with some excellent curtains behind him, and and it's bad that that's going to be the main thing I remember the era for <laughs> curtains for Bivak, <laughs> but 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 that's certainly up there. Anyway, it hasn't worked out. I think he had to go after the losses to Italy and Georgia, and who knows if the players were still buying in. Gatlin's back. I feel like... Let let me put a question to you. Warren's now back. What is a good outcome for Wales in the Six Nations next year and then at the Rugby World Cup? I'll put that first to Charlie. Sorry, I was just looking into the middle of the period. Um, Charlie, why don't you, why don't you start? What What's sort of a good outcome from here for Wales? Thank you. As ever, um, at Six Nations, winning your home games, you start there, don't you? Um, Is he going to do what he did in 2008 and just win the six, win the slam? Especially with England at home. They've got England at home, I believe. England at home, yeah. yeah. England at home on the um, on the moving weekend. We just go back to the 2021 Six Nations. They did win it. It's uh, high praise. In sorry, sorry. To work backwards, the World Cup... It's a potential quarterfinal with England, isn't it? And just the spice. I get, there, there is a worry here that um, that kind of it's force of personality with Gatland and the Stephen Phillips. The um, the quote in um, the press conference, which was, uh, "This isn't a sticking plant, plaster or a quick fix." You're like, okay. But I, I mean, it's a bit of that. It feels like a little bit of that. Mm. Um, but that can be all right if it rides momentum through the next World Cup. So it still does feel like a lot of a lot of onus is on this World Cup, ironically, um, for for Gatlin to go well 
Um, He's reached the semi-finals twice. Is that mm. is asking a semi-final again too much? It feels like it. No, I don't. I don't think it is. I don't think it is because that side of the draw is pretty sympathetic. But I it's, think it's whereby, awesome. whereby before the goal would have been to win the World Cup for Wales, wouldn't it? I mean, now realistically, you've got to be looking that the semi-final is should the goal. Have made, should have made that final sure. in 2019. They should have made, made that final in 2019. Yeah. It, for Gatland historically, with all of his Six Nations successes and with. His Lions successes really, 20, um, South Africa aside, um, the goal was always to, to, to win the World Cup, whereas surely now, I mean, he probably, the, the message from the WIU would be that that is, that is still the case, but does any Welshman really in their heart of hearts believe that that's a, a realistic um, outcome the, at this point? In the Six Nations, Wales start with Ireland at home, tasty, go to Scotland, or sort of hysteri- historically a very nice fixture for Gatlin, let's see if that kind of trend continues. Then they host England away at Italy. They've been going really, really well. They finish have. finish away in France. It's a pretty tough schedule. Um, just wanted but, to just wanted to bring up a tweet that Jamie Roberts posted on Monday when it was announced, where he said, "I thought everyone hated Warren Ball." It just sort of shows that couple, not, couple, he's been brought out of retirement. Couple, isn't he? couple of years. I mean, Jamie, get your boots. Although no, George North Post sent it out. Oh yeah. Oh, this. I I think so. I should probably stress it is not actually all doom and gloom for Wales. Like there's promise in the back row. Jack Morgan has been had, excellent. Had a really good autumn. Mm-hmm. There's still good players there. If you can have Reece Samet involved in sort of doing good things and getting opportunities, they they can. There's still potential there. Alwyn Jones actually was inspired in that Australia game. Mm. Just when everyone thought he was. He was sort of out of out of time. So I'm really interested what Gatlin does with the captaincy in particular. Will he give it to someone he knows? Will he give it to keep it with Bigger, who missed the autumn because he was injured? Or would he go back to Alan Jones just because it's worked so well in the past, even though you can't really guarantee Alan wins a starter at the moment because of Will Rowlands and Adam Beard? Ken Owens? Or Ken Owens, maybe. Or do you do what Sam Warburton said in his column this week for the Times, where he was like, give it to a young give it to a young player like yeah. he did with me. Give it to Jack Morgan. It's not wild, and it might be quite no. interesting. Um, as ferocious as that back row competition is, he seems like he could be a fixture, couldn't he? Tommy mm. Raphael probably didn't take his chance against New Zealand, no. um, and, and Morgan kind of grew, grew and grew and grew. Um, oh, I just, I, I'm, I'm excited because just having his personality back in the Six Nations mix is, is what keeps you going through January. Just those, those, yeah. those presses, him dropping grenades here and there. I thought his press conference was really impressive because um, I think he got asked, um, you're putting your legacy in line here, aren't you? Is that, does that worry you? And he said, that's part of the thrill. And if you think about, I know we kind of joked about where will Eddie, Eddie Jones go next, um, but for, for Gatlin, didn't he, I guess he didn't have to do this. And would we be, a couple of points. So first of all, I think actually uh, after the Six Nations, sorry, after the Autumn Internationals, Wales fans would have been more down in the dumps than England fans. I think with the way the coaching merry-go-round has worked out, I think that might have flipped. Um, and yeah, I, I, it's just because he's just because he's such a snug fit for that job. And also, would we be sitting here um, after the after the Lions tour to, to South Africa? Do you think we'd be sitting here thinking about Warren Gatlin's stock going up? I'm not sure, not sure we would have done. So he's worked it worked it very nicely. But having said that, delighted to see him back. Really looking forward to seeing how it works out. 
Right, it's time for some of your questions. Thank you for sending them to us on Twitter. We're going to start with, talking about friends of the pod, Alan Dimmock, the Rugby World editor, has asked us, what is the most ludicrous appointment rumour slash suggestion that we have heard so far, please? Uh, Charles, what have you heard? Sir Clive Woodward returning? Surely must be up there. I mean, and, and actually, seems to be gaining some traction. This is not just a few. Pe- I, I must stress these are these are social media rumours, not actual genu- from genuine reliable sources. These podcast these- listeners, Charlie has his head in his hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, yeah. Right. this is this is this is this is not a. This is, we're not suggesting here by any stretch that this is actually going to happen. But but it seems like a lot of people on Twitter, and there's been a few people in the comments section of the Daily Telegraph clamouring for the return of Sir Clive Woodward, and and I, and I, and I can't. I'm sorry, I just can't get behind that. He's not been involved in top-level rugby for a while. Also, Eddie Jones to Leicester is another is another good one, uh, which oh, that be fun. Come on, it is fun, but I I think um, I think he's more likely to take on the sort of um, I don't know London Irish third team than than, than Leicester <laughs> than Leicester have him to be honest. <laughs> the wild geese of the amateur side is that the wild geese? Yeah, that's, wild it, that's geese. what I was going for. Uh, I couldn't quite remember. Morgs, that. any ludicrous suggestions? Wild geese, good. No, the Clive clamour is the um, is what I've is what I had in mind. I I I would almost say that Scott Robertson is ludicrous, not because he's not very good, he's outstanding. I just can't see the RFU ever doing it, and therefore that makes it a bit mad. I'm almost saying this now to will them into do, into mm-hmm. doing it. You don't want to do that. Come on, you don't want Scott Robertson break dancing in the middle of talking him, do you? Yes, you do. Please bring him in. Um, Matt has asked us: Has there been any indication that Borthwick is happy to work with the existing coaching assistants? So that is interesting, Charlie. What I'd say to that is um, when Charles mentioned earlier that the impact at Leicester wasn't immediate, there was a little bit of coaching change that happened there. If you remember, Rob Taylor, attack coach left, Mike Ford, defence coach left to bring in Kevin Sinfield and um, to make room for Richard Wigglesworth coming up as player coach. Jordan Murphy going as well, big one. And so I would say that he... uh, was given um, a mandate to get that team around him at Leicester and I would say that he would want the same. Charles, if I flip that, who of the current assistants would you keep or feel that they should consider keeping? Borthwick was to keep any of the existing assistant coaches and the RFU might say thanks because that saves us a payoff. Like who would who would be the one? Matt Proudfoot's gotta be on on real thin ice. Gleason's gotta be on thin ice. Cockrell, perhaps, if you if you redefined his role when he started at Leicester as a hands-on coach, he what before he became director of rugby, he was in charge of the scrum and the lineout. He he wasn't in charge of the scrum this autumn. That was Matt Proudfoot's domain. So maybe Cockrell deserves a run at the set piece, which was always his area of expertise as a coach, as a hands-on coach, and as a player. So maybe just Cockrell, if his role is redefined, and the fact. In fairness, the fact that he has been named in that release by the RFU suggests that he's not going to be immediately dispensed with because why on earth would you give somebody a job for two weeks knowing that you're going to sack them? And why would you take a job knowing that he's quite a prickly personality? Why on earth would Richard Cockerell take that job knowing that he's going to be sacked in two weeks' time? There was no job title mentioned, I don't think. Voice voice from the... The studio tells me that in the interim, Richard Cockrell will, interim, will take over the day-to-day running of the men's program. Interim runner of the it's uh, not title. <laughs> it's not, uh, crucially still employed, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Honey Badger on Twitter says, "Why couldn't Borthwick have come in 
alongside Jones. Hey, did it before? Well, I think this was the plan all along. Isn't that, isn't that Project Everest? Yeah. The idea that they would w- have worked together for a period of time and, and sort of make, and you know, gradually yeah. like get the successor in place and up to speed. I mean, it was certainly along those lines. I mean, I, I think that's still now the, the the golden goose, really, for the RFU. And and that was the, the dream ticket, was Steve finishing the season with Leicester in June, July, joining England ahead of the World Cup and working alongside or underneath, perhaps, Eddie Jones for that World Cup, then taking over at the end of the World Cup. And I'm not quite sure why that landscape has changed so much, why by that's now not a a realistic proposition. I'm not sure if they thought that Steve needed that experience and that guidance then, then I'm not sure why he now doesn't need it, if that makes sense. Surely he's one coach who doesn't need it because he's been in the setup and, and he's sort of been around Six Nations and had four years in that cycle. But, but not as a head coach. He hasn't international. Yeah. He hasn't done an international head coach role. So for him, shadowing Eddie over the summer and in the World Cup might have been really useful for him. Question as well from Chris on Twitter, where he asks: Among the contributing factors to Jones sacking, nobody has mentioned the possible impact of Saracens being relegated and the impact that had on England. What do you think about that, Charlie? So that was that was actually a point made in a piece on Monday about what Jones should say in his review. Um, and he certainly had mitigating circumstances with that. It probably, can't know for sure, can we? But it seemed to really affect England's 2021 Six Nations. Um, so he should have brought that up. Um, I would have been amazed if he didn't. But equally, they had a poor 2021 Six Nations. Um, and then another, and then a and then a pretty toothless review after that, which again, O'Shea and, and Sweeney are kind of culpable for. Um, and then it's after that, really, and after a kind of promising 2021 autumn, which is where the stagnation has continued. So I think he, think he, if he hasn't mentioned those, um, I think everybody has been aware of those contributing factors and mitigating circumstances, but I think even in light of them, um, you know, you can make your own judgments. That's it for today. A reminder to check out The Telegraph's extensive coverage of Eddie Jones' dismissal as England head coach and also look out for all of the updates on his successor. I should also point out that The Telegraph broke the news of Warren Gatlin's return as well as head coach last week as well. There's articles from all three of us on the website diving into Eddie's era as well as expert analysis from the likes of Will Greenwood and Brian Moore as well. The three of us will be back with you in the new year unless there's some other major rugby disaster that we haven't seen coming. And we'll see you in the Six Nations when both England and Wales will have new head coaches. Until then, goodbye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.